0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the record of Lodos War of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the death metal guy, a.k.a. I know we didn't talk about it, but I figured you'd let me borrow your ramp.
1: And I am the black metal guy, a.k.a. Hagfish Alfredo. <laughs> a real
0: delicacy of a dish there.
1: I, I enjoy, uh, you know... Uh, I, I enjoy a, a meal of Hagfish Alfredo, followed by a viewing of Record of Lodoss War. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, my, my wife just started showing me that. You ever seen that, dude? Uh, you know, at at a, at a university anime screening when I was in, like, middle school many years ago. Oh, man, you should watch it again
0: now. It's like a Rosetta Stone to all of the, like, anime interpretations of Western fantasy stuff. Hmm. Like it's um, it, it, I just when I was watching, I was amazed. It's this very kind of primitive, very direct interpretation of like, especially like early uh, uh, Western computer role playing games, you know, Wizardry and Ultima and stuff. Yeah. like Yeah. Oh
1: yeah, this is basically <laughs> Zelda.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've got like you've got what's clearly like a D and D adventuring party. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just really cool. It's like as soon as I started watching, I was like. Oh, everything snaps into place. The whole lineage of all this stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. It really I, I'd watch it. I I I remember liking it fine then, and yeah, probably the historical thing would be would be yeah. good. It's got cute elf girls. I know that's important to both you and me. Yeah, it, I mean, if it's, <laughs> it's, it, it's it's essential. It's objectively really? it's objectively important. Definitely <laughs>
0: <Yeah. not. laughs> a, a, a crucial crucial aspect of all anime viewing here on Terminus. It's it's it's, it's one of the
1: five pillars of Terminus. <laughs>
0: sort oh, of cr- man. Cr-
1: crushing posers um you know uh seeing them driven before you hearing the lamentations of their women uh listening to metal and uh, cute elf girls that's that's i i think everybody listening
0: can probably agree with that sequence there <laughs> but but to uh you know we're, we're on a very irregular sort of recording schedule lately because both you and I were taking trips out of town but uh we're back so as so as not to delay things any further speaking of crushing posers and seeing them driven before us what do we have for our uh, our little mini review starting the night
1: Ah, we have a uh, an EP that instantly endeared itself to me because it has something like the Loch Ness Monster on its cover. This is <laughs> Serpentine Dissension by Galicia. Uh, it's an independent release. Um, uh, so this was submitted as Galicia, by the way, an interesting place, Asia Minor. It's in it was in Asia Minor, hmm. and I believe. Oh wait, sorry, no, 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 no. I'm confusing that with Galicia. Galicia is in Spain, I think, or something like that. The, the, um, that's Galicia, anyway. I believe. So I don't know. Maybe this isn't even a real place. <laughs> Let me see. <laughs> <laughs> it's a. Uh, no, uh, no, no, it's the. Gal- no, it, it's the, the sea is, is, is lisped. It's Galicia, yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, a. Yeah, now yeah. I just
0: looked up Galicia or Halachina, is a uh, historic region from southeastern Poland
1: and western Ukraine but also northwest northwest Iberian peninsula which might be basque or portuguese no it's, autonomous community of spain it's uh, it's it's both and neither at once i suppose all right so we the answer is we don't know what the fuck this band is named after and we'd be interested to hear and we will eventually find out because disclaimer guy is a patron of the show um Uh, but yeah he he submitted this to us for review and it seemed like it it is indeed the kind of thing we would review so uh, um, you could compare this to a lot of things um, but I think something we both landed on is this sounds a lot a lot like Axis of advance and sacramentary abolishment yeah Uh, which Definitely. are two two configurations of the same band and is one of our favorite bands, mm-hmm. uh, um, and something we did a bonus episode on. Um, I, I was tipped off to that maybe in part because this guy on on our discord has mentioned he likes those, but um it's pr- pretty apparent, right? Oh, yeah, it's 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 readily apparent.
0: I mean, it, it seems like mm-hmm. one of the central objectives of this band is to resurrect that sound. And not to put too fine a point on it, but who else is trying to resurrect that sound, you know, intentionally or unintentionally? That would be Into Oblivion, who did Winds of Serpentine Ascension back in 2020. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. <clears throat> Ooh. Doing the, uh, the multi-layered references to that whole scene. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, even, even without being tipped off, because I... I think you had mentioned we had a patron who talked to us about really liking the episode about Sacramentary and AOA, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, that was another guy. But this guy liked it too. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, so I didn't I didn't necessarily put two and two together that this was the same patron or was related or in some way. But the Sacramentary abolishment and the Axis of Advance are immediately apparent, uh, and that seems to be one of the central objectives of this band. Like I said, is to revive that sound or do a new spin on it.
1: Yeah, which is cool because it is a, um, y- you know, uh, I think it's, it's a, those are deeply cult bands and you don't hear much stuff that sounds like it. Uh, mm-hmm. They are in some sense war metal, but most modern war, or almost virtually all modern war metal sounds nothing like that and has not learned lessons from it. Um, mm. uh, so, yeah, so we, we basically agree from the start, good idea. Um... Axis of Advance has, which is the sort of, I guess, you know, I really like sacramentary too, but an Axis of Advance is sort of the final form of the idea, right? Yeah. And that that has three things, right? Convulsive blasting death metal, noble melodic black death, kind of Swedish influenced, and a persistent undertone of thrash, Mm -hmm. right? And this band does all three of those things, but is good at two of them. Yeah, I, and we basically agree on the spread there. I,
0: I would say I think <laughs> that I think that what this—it's it, kind of a surprise. I, I think this is actually more like Sacramentary than it is like Axis. Um, there are certain aspects of Axis that really shine through, especially some of their later work, which we don't talk about a whole lot on the show. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll get to that, but Sacramentary and the the Distracting Stone in particular seem to be. Uh, it, it seems to be the prevailing influence here. But yeah, so all the constituent elements from that band, uh, all of those are present, but it seems very clear where the strongest points are for these guys.
1: Yeah, as far as sounding more like sacramentary, you could speak to the idea that it sounds more, or it, that that speaks to the idea that, like, the production is raw on mm. this, um, and it also emphasizes, you could say, sort of, The parts are less... Axis of Advance has pretty successfully blended all of the parts. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Here you will get independent sort of thrash sections, or independent parts that sound like the better Swedish melodic death metal, or independent parts that sound more like the sort of, uh, um, you know, abrasive blasting. Mm -hmm. Um, we both, yeah, so to, to give, give it away, we both pretty much, well, actually let's, let's just listen to a sample and we'll see if the listeners can guess it. So here's, here's a sample that has all three of those parts delivered kind of, uh, in pretty distinct places. Uh, see if you can spot them and which do you think are, is the, you know, the weak link here. Let's go to gurgling void of cataclysmic revulsion, um, about a minute and 45 in. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think we both agree that, right, You, what we hear in that sequence is you get the 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 abrasive blasting stuff first. That's a big first section, and it has several sub-riffs within it, which I think we can get into. I just sort of mapped it out as we listened. Then we have a second section, which is this... um. A good example of the kind of thrashy stuff here which is has some melodic contour to it and some atmosphere but is sort of very very aggressively played and my favorite part and we get the sick sort of good melodeth riff and then we're back to the thrash and then in an example of subtle and cool songwriting we are at another melodeth part but a very different one at the end and that's where we fade out yeah yeah, uh,
0: I, I really that is something I'll get to also when I talk a little bit more. The slowed down melodic sections, the kind of doomy ones, are really standout parts on this record. Um, but we got we got to talk about the elephant in the room. What's the weak link?
2: <sighs>
1: um, well, it's we we have to amputate. It's the, uh, the, <laughs> the it's 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 uh it's the abrasive blasting stuff. Yeah. Um. But we don't have to take the whole limb, death metal guy. What do you think? So we we both agreed that, uh, and it, this is
0: how it always goes. Whenever like a patron or somebody submits or something, we're we're always like way more nitpicky and, <laughs> and aggressive about our critiques. So which is the goal, right? It's
1: like a workshop.
0: If if anyone's going to yeah. appreciate it, it's the people who are uh, that dedicated to yeah. this show. Um, mm-hmm. So it's very clear that the weakest parts of this record are the super chaotic, aggressive, blasting parts, the ones that are the most like War Metal, in a sense. Um, It's not that they're terrible, it's that, well, it's, it's a couple things. One, it's a matter of proximity to parts that are simply a lot better and a lot more memorable, and it's also the fact that I was talking to you about this last night, I got the sense that some of these riffs, particularly these really chaotic kind of War Metal riffs, were placed into the songs and were kind of placeholders it was like we want to do something like this but for the sake of getting the song together and structuring out these kind of intricate Mm. winding things we'll do that for now and we'll come back to it but it seems like a lot of them they didn't come back to not all of them are misses but they tend to feel kind of perfunctory you know they're they're very clearly there to fill a role um, none of them strike me as the centerpiece of any of these three songs. You know, they feel like they're they're functional riffs to build tension and aggression that gets released in these big kind of glorious melodic moments. Um, so the question is, how do you how do you refine those parts so they're as exciting as the rest of the songs? And
1: there's there's a few possibilities yeah. there, but I've been talking for a while, so you you go ahead. Yeah, well, here, I've, I've got a very definite idea of that. You said in the notes that, you know, we, we were sort of... Di- uh, um, or rather, we were talking on Discord about this. And you sort, of, you, you sort of pointed out, like, yeah, you know, they could keep some of that blast. I said maybe they should just scrap the blasty stuff or just... I mean, my initial idea was cut those sorts of abrasive blasting stuff and just put really retarded blast beats under some of the more thrashy or melodic stuff. Yeah. Um, but, like... Which is definitely something that they can do. That's one op. That's one thing. One possibility. But like, I you know, you made a good case for keeping some of the more dissonant stuff, which I think is fair. But it's certainly important to the axis of advance formula. And you're right that when it it it, 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 it does have a good role as a tension builder. I think what we agreed is that specifically the weak link are the seesawing dissonant leads. Yeah, um, that's, that's so. The- that's the one part.
0: So obviously, this is. I mean, to me, uh, here. I'll, let
1: me let me actually map it out. I'll go ahead. Quick. Yeah. So for for these guys in that first riff sequence of if if for listeners at home, right? You probably just heard like a sequence of blasty stuff happening for a minute, right? You probably like half heard that while you sort of pivoted the forklift, but like, <laughs> um, but but th- that actually has three riffs in it. The A riff is a pretty sick Axis style, or even Diocletian style, war metal slide riff. That's like much crisper than just sort of bludgeoning, blasphemy light kind of stuff. Um, and it's got this, yeah, got got a cool. You know, I like a cool pick slide, but um, <laughs> it, it it's it's got sort of tight, crisp, disciplined kind of thing, like which is very Axis of Advance. Um, the next two are these seesawing sort of scronk riffs based on leads so mm-hmm. it goes A, B, C, B, C and then we repeat that whole section again and then it goes into the other stuff um, the B and C I think we agree are the weak links mm-hmm. you just don't need to write riffs like that like they're um, and the thing is like it, it, it's only there to maybe be like as you said it's sort of like there's a placeholder thing to them and and at this point, those kinds of riffs they don't make things seem more chaotic, or they don't make things actually more difficult. They're just a trope of their own kind, right? And it's almost like a diso black trope, um, and it's not really where the heart of the music is. Whereas when you hear them go out of that into the fucking thrash riff, mm. that part lands as more aggressive than the skronk leads because a because it's it, because it has this clear direction, clear shape and direction. And because they, you can tell they enjoy playing it more. Yeah,
0: no, I think, um, so, so actually I would, I would disagree slightly cause I do like the C part of that riff or at least kind of the conceit of it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you know, basically holding this dissonant chord and then just kind of bending it really a little bit slowly and dramatically at the end. I mean, that's a, that's a kind of Diocletian thing, as you said, or almost like a, almost antediluvian in a way. I just think that the question is, how do you weave it into stuff that's that fast paced? You know, and I understand the attempt to recreate some of the, the sort of happy accidents of sacramentary abolishment. You know, there there's, there's a lot of stuff that ended up so sick on SA that was almost certainly completely unintentional. Um, I I think there's a core of good ideas. I think the individual riffs just need refinement. I don't think there's any parts of this music that need to be removed. I think that, you know, they they already had the thrash stuff and the melodic stuff is already in place. They just need to work on that. You know, just shore up the weakness there. You've already got it set with the rest of the material. Yeah, so I want to go to your sample. Yeah, sure. So here's here's something that I want to really point to that I find kind of unique about this band. Now, I mean, obviously we've been talking about Sacramentary and Axis and those are great things to sound like. But in the interest of what makes Galicia, Galicia, um, well, there's one thing that I want to point to. And you got a little bit of it at the end of your sample, which is this prevailing subtle kind of funeral doom quality. They, you know, these kind of... Mm-hmm. Almost funeral doom passages will pop up on I think just about every song uh, on this EP. and they tend to hit. Also, just
1: about every every record we review today.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. How's that? <laughs> um, anyway, continue. Yeah, but they they land like a fucking sledgehammer, and this is something you heard uh, you heard Ax of, Axis of Advance do a little bit on some of their stuff, especially on Obey which is their final album before they broke up. I always had this theory that there is this little thread of funeral doom, you know, in the midst of everything they did, like they were listening to skepticism and Theragathon. And I think these guys almost certainly do. So we're going to listen to this huge doom section off the final track, apocalyptic iron fist death fuck. Okay, <laughs> um, so let's listen to this, and I'll point out some things that I think this connects to and how I think this can be really accentuated to make this band all its own. Section. Um, obviously the centerpiece, you know, you've got the big flowing melodic part that opens it, that opens it, but then they incorporate it into that, that awful kind of dissonant trudge that happens in the middle of that section, which I'm going to go to bat and say is probably a direct reference to Wyrmphlemm, um... Hmm. Yeah, I mean, if if I was ever gonna say someone on the show was directly listening to Worm Plum, it's probably a guy who listens to the show.
1: You know, the same. Yeah, same. yeah, no, no, that's that's true, and there may actually be an Into Oblivion reference in the title. So, yeah, no, this. I mean, we've talked to this guy; he's a huge nerd. So, he's
0: probably, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, know, you know, just the, the same, uh, the same set of like two thousands early internet weirdo metal influences might be at play. Um, but that that trudge section is so fucking cool um, and it's so evocative mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I really love uh, the vocalist, like low kind of burpy Demi-Lich vocals <laughs> that you hear periodically throughout this record. It's awesome. And some of the, actually the vocal performance is worthy of mentioning because some of the banshee shrieks on this thing are so fucking high and crazy they're kind of remarkable you know as guys that don't talk about vocal performances a lot these are actually pretty exceptional uh,
1: um, our our guy is the vocalist actually i think pretty oh sure. yeah
0: okay no. cool um but i really like the way so you you do this uh this kind of nice uh you know elegiac a slowed-down Melodeth lead intro, and then you fold that into the really ugly, trudging, dissonant passage, and then you come out the other side into something that's kind of motivically related, but way faster and more aggressive. It's really smart songwriting. I like how long they sit on it, which is very axis of advance, really giving these individual sections time to breathe, you know, giving them the weight they deserve. And... Yeah, this one I think this song more than any other points the way forward. You know, it's I, like it's a nine-minute track. It does everything extremely well, and uh, yeah, no, it's just
1: I, I think it's excellent. I, uh, yeah, th- that's a fair. Thanks for calling my attention to that doom stuff. I I think in the overall flow of it, I I I lost that part in my ear, but like mm-hmm. those, that's really good. And th- whereas. The sequencing and the earlier stuff in the earlier sample I played could be altered, I think, in a way I'll try to suggest in a sec. The sequencing there is great.
2: Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, Well,
0: wrapping back around real quick, just what I said right before mm -hmm. we played it. I think that these moments, all of these very slow, almost funeral doom moments, should be a bigger feature of the music. Because they happen on Mm -hmm. every song, they land really hard on every song. And I think just devoting even more time to those things um, would really set this apart from, you know, sacramentary and axis to make that a defining part of the music. It already is, but let's just take it further.
1: Yeah. And the last thing I would suggest is just, um, yeah, I really like the blasty part at the end. Mm -hmm. I felt like really methodical uh, and sort of epic without hitting you over the head with it. Um, There were like, there was like an A B variation on. There were like nested turnaround variants that happened over a very long time frame. It was really cool, um. But like in terms of structuring and sequencing, so okay, more prominent doomy stuff, and when you're doing these abrasive blasting parts, like think maybe more, like I oh this is the thing we agreed on last night. It's like the more the doomy stuff and the more sort of uh noble sounding stuff is is and the thrashing stuff is the core of the music but keep those abrasive parts but see how you can like consciously use them at the service of those other parts rather than sort of like piling all the threat all the all the blasty dissonant stuff together right see how you can like intersperse it more think about um I was actually just listening to Axis of Advance today, in part because of, because of this. Um, I was going to say, think about the, uh, the the sort of call and response riffs, the call and response sequences that, like, Axis of Advance does even on um, the second track of Strike, whose name I forget, but I'm sure that'll uh, remember.
0: Evanescent Judgment of the Last Era. Yeah.
1: Yeah. drop the C, yeah yeah we're uh um we're so this is on antic records uh the uh a label that you've heard a bunch from on this show um and a label that at this point is kind of a a friend of the show i'd say uh we first started covering their stuff with the antennas record that came out at pretty much this exact time of year last year um and uh Onternos was a, a two-man project uh, featuring the label's head, Evermore, uh, and he was doing the sort of the, the guitars and main riff writing stuff in that band, I believe. Uh, and I want to start off just by clearing up a lineup confusion that I had and may have uh, perpetuated on the show. He's a core member of Vehemos but in Véhémence, his main thing is vocals as well as auxiliary stuff like flute and psaltery, which honestly, I have to look up. Um, uh, yeah, like, okay, like a dulcimer kind of thing um, or a zither. Uh, and um, so he's so he's mostly vocalist and lyricist and concept guy in this project. And the guitarist is a guy who's just credited as Tulscha and doesn't have... Much else to his there's a discount a, a project called uh, Winter nest to his name on Metal Archives, but not much else, and that's pretty pretty old. So a mysterious figure on guitar, um, and on this record they're joined by the drummer uh, T Leitner uh, or Thomas Leitner from Austria, um, and you know the drumming is pretty phenomenal here. So that's the basic lineup rundown. Um, they, we've talked about a lot on the show, right?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, they're one of the, I mean, they're the probably primary reference point for this whole style of black metal.
1: Yeah, we talk about them as one of the cornerstones of uh, French chivalric black metal, and I often mention them in the same breath as Our lock, who sort of originated this style. Uh, however, with uh, Our lock kind of boofing it on last year's record, um <laughs> this is a chance for Veja to sort of step into the lead and sort of uh, claim the crown. So we'll see how they do. (laughs) Um, And uh, speaking of which, um, you know, it's been three years since the last one, which given how prolific this scene around this label is, seems kind of like a long time. Uh, And I've kind of got a conceit for what's happened in the intervening years and what's sort of distinctive about this record uh what's happened since then is kind of the the construction of a kingdom around this label so uh there's a lot about this album that reminds me of uh something satanic Warmaster says on his website which is uh we we deal with material that inspires us on our journey towards our own kingdom a kingdom that is not yours but bears a resemblance to the one there could be for you <laughs> <laughs> right it's it's kind of funny but it it also sticks with you yeah um and with this uh with, with this with the with, with this label antic and the scene around it um the these guys have really built their own kingdom uh this entire sort of uh, cast of sort of musicians and supporting and people doing supporting stuff and whatever uh, just this record has a bunch of guest and session stuff. We've got someone on bass, someone on cello. We've got the guy from Pedrette's Geoffroy Del, Delaria uh, on flute. He also ju- guested on Antronose. We've got a guy playing uh, Nuku Harpa. Um, and we've got, got a guy doing some hurdy-gurdy and extra vocals. So this is kind of... Um, this is a big undertaking. Uh, and it reflects, I think... Um, the distance that uh, this scene has come since Veheence fired that kind of defining album off a few years ago.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think I don't think it's even a matter of debate or perspective. I mean, even with just the stuff that antic has released since we've started the show even e- even if antic was just that, um, this would still be known and talked about thirty years from now you know 30 years from now there would be a band it's like you know we're doing kind of the old school antic thing you know from (laughs) right around 2020 you know that that would it's going to be a topic of conversation this is a style of music in and of itself and i mean I, i don't think it's even a question of like the kingdom being built it's there it's it's part of history
1: already yeah well that yeah that's a very nice way of putting it um and uh, <clears throat> so the, the realm has been established. Um, I think you'll hear that playing out on on the record in various ways. So first, let's start with, I've got my own, you know, uh, I, I listen to Parla song verse a lot. Um, I've got my line on this record. Uh, but w- w- what did you make of it as a whole?
0: It's really fucking good. You know, I, I did not expect anything less.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, it's a really... It's a really fun album. I mean, I knew it was going to be fun, but it's like, boy, this is kind of musical candy in a lot of places. But it's also got a, a tremendous amount of depth and texture to it. And it does reward repeated listens. You know, it's it's the best of both worlds. It has immediate impact, huge hooks, but also a ton to discover on following listens. Um. I am very interested, you know, if we see Véhémence as like a flagship band for Antic, you know, being sort of the paradigm from which all the other artists descend, Mm -hmm. I think there are moves being made on this record that it it suggests really interesting things about the perspective Mm -hmm. uh, that these guys have of this music and where it may go in the future. I get one of my, I guess the hottest take... That I would have, and I think that you'll probably agree to a a certain degree on this, is that I don't think that this style is particularly concerned with being black
1: metal anymore. Yeah, we've talked about that. Yeah, I I think I, I think I agree. I mean, I think we've talked before about how the antic stuff sort of the lineup sort of includes things that could be called black metal. Mm-hmm. But it's all grouped in a different way. It's all grouped with stuff that you could also call folk metal, but that has black metal-y things about it. Um, and it's often quite different from older kinds of folk metal. Uh, sometimes less different from it, right? Um, yeah. Or you've got stuff like Asset, which is sort of rooted in, you know, black metal in spirit, kind of, but rooted in hardcore, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's So it's... There's this. Uh, it's what we talked what, talked about with serpent dweller last week. It's like sure, black metal will always persist as an important aesthetic category and as the root of this whole tradition and and most crucially of a spirit, right? Mm-hmm. But like, uh, y- you know, it's not the dominant way. It, it's it's ceasing to be the the main way to parse these things, right? Yeah. Well,
0: I think. I think more specifically in relation to Antic, uh, I I was talking with uh, the Terminus intern, Hyper Shaman, about this a little bit earlier today, uh, because he was talking about the record, and he said something that I was turning over in my head, and I think is very correct, which is that the Pedrette's record from last year signaled a big shift, Um you know, that was a record that we had, you know, there were things we liked about it and things that we didn't, but it was clearly centering on a, a certain idea of what this style of music is generally supposed to be, mm-hmm. um, and I think you hear that bearing out here, albeit in a different and probably better way, but I think we can see the Rats record in hindsight as what may be a turning point for this, this whole style. Um, and I'll get into that sp- in specific musical terms a little bit later, but I, I think we're going to look back on that record as a-, a hinge point for where things
1: really started to change. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. Um, and with the, you know, you could say one thing that separates this from the last Vamos is. That this sort of range of non-black metal range of styles is much—they're all gathered on this record. Mm-hmm. Um, in it and it's uh, yeah. Well, here we'll we'll get into it now, right? Uh, so Parla Sang Versailles was uh, it would be—you could also argue that that's not really black metal; that it's you know the French version of solar metal, mm-hmm. right? uh you know it's not like something like spite extreme wing or i don't know what's another good example uh m- you know maquahidal from the us or something um yeah. uh um you could argue that it's it's its orientation is uh you know that it has black metal intensity and aggression but that it's it's uh expressing a meaningfully different kind of added uh di- different kind of ex- um yeah, different kind of atmosphere and spirit. Um, yeah, but like it's you can also say structurally, in many ways, it is down the line just a very melodic, flowery, and noble black metal record. Uh and it's it's one of the best things a black metal or any extreme metal record can be, which is just every song is the same, not the same song, but the same kind of song, and each one is meaningfully different in cool and surprising ways. And they're all insanely good. Yeah. Right. Which is, and on that record, they develop this, uh, who knows? I actually haven't heard the first record. Maybe it's already on the first record, but the melodic work on this is just outstanding, really authentic. It develops like this sort of melodic language that sure has a lot to do with black metal, with, with melodic death metal from the good stuff from Sweden, Um, But you can hear also just the actual medieval and folk music in it um, and a creative interpretation on like, you know, how Gothic cathedral stained glass music might sound.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, uh, And so they're just developed this fully realized language of riff, melody and harmony. And so the question is, where do you go after that? right and this this record is a pretty is or is I think a, a very convincing and interesting answer to that question so to, to start let's remind people of what was really cool about Parla Song Versailles and just the core of this band's riffing style as it sort of just burst onto the scene on that record and then we'll get into pretty we'll get directly into our samples uh, so this is from uh, God, I mean, probably one of the single most noble moments in black metal ever. This is towards the end of the record. Uh, this is La Dernière chevauchée, The Last Cavalry Charge.
0: Sous La Dernière chevauchée. <laughs>
1: Expensive horse, go burr <laughs> No cheap horses here. None. No, I, I, I mortgaged an entire fief for this horse. Um, and anyway, so after that magnificent, glorious cavalry charge of a riff, um, keep that phrase in your head. That descending scale run. da 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 Da, 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 da. See, I can I've listened to this song a lot, but like, and I missed some of those notes. But like, one thing that's cool about this, we talked about this with Entorno's too, is that the riffs relate to singable melody. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so keep that theme in mind, and then listen to this uh, to this riff from the second track of the new one, which is Ordalise. So the second track here is La Divine Sorcellerie. So I think that's just sort of like the divine sorcery.
0: same picture
1: yeah yeah right that is the same uh the same downward downward scale run sort of basic melodic stem that's at the heart of la dernière chevauchet
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and you get things that are a little like that throughout that throughout parla song verset um and elsewhere on this record but here it's really recognizable um and so, in some sense, that is—I mean—the melodic heart of the riff is the same, um, but it's not merely recycled. Uh, It's—it's not—it's not exactly the same riff. And not only that, it's not merely recycled. How would you describe what he's done to the uh, previous to that older riff?
0: I'm—you know—I—I'm—I'm I'm gonna. I'm going to take a shot in the dark. I bet there's one of these on the first album also. Um, So I think, well, so you've got the same general idea, the same motif of that downward scale run. But then Mm -hmm. what you've also got is him doing what was naturally already suggested by it, which is singing over it, you know, adding harmonic vocal accompaniment, you know, playing with the riff just enough so that it's refreshed for the new record. But there's a thread of continuity. To to previous stuff, and it would not surprise me if future stuff as well.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a major theme, and honestly, like it's one of those things. It's like you know a really cool character coming back in another you know in a novel or something, right? From a previous part of the series, right? It's um, it's just like ah, oh, yes, it's that riff, our friend. <laughs> it's like right? the Cenotaph um, riff, you know, or the world eater yeah, riff. Exactly. Um, but he's done cool things to it, which is like, um you can hear the different mood here. Uh, the entire mood of the last, uh, Parle-Song Verse has some, has some questing and whatnot, but it's, it's a very sort of, uh, straightforward, martial, aggressive mood. Sort of, uh, you know, in a kind of, like, light and joyous aggression, but, like, it's, it's sort of, uh, very sort of nightly combat through and through. The the emotion and atmosphere here is a bit more complex, um, and a bit more. Uh, this that record was not in any sense dark. Um, there's a bit more darkness here, right? There's that moment where he goes through a couple of runs, and then it sort of, boom. You get that sort of uh, it, it rests on that dissonant interval, and then just sort of like restarts it sort of like descends to the bottom of the sequence, sort of hits, deliberately hits a bum note and then restarts. And the feeling here is a lot more at the end in La Dernier Chevauchée, it's like a sort of a severely descending riff, right? It's sort of decisive, the final charge, right? Mm -hmm. Sword swinging down, lances forward. Here it becomes this sort of, it sort of descends and then it spirals upward again. And you can hear that second guitar, Ra- racing upward under it, which was an idea that was sort of on the previous one, but it's more here. Um, and so the entire mood is one now that's a lot more of sort of like uh, um, s- there's more storm and stress here and sort of like striving and uh, ambivalence.
0: Yeah, well, uh, you know, I, on the previous record, that's used with a note of finality. Here, It was interesting, we were having discussions about what we were sampling, and we had talked about, you know, both of us wanted to sample stuff off this song, and it turned out we were in very similar Mm -hmm. places. And you were like, oh, you want the big riff? And I was like, I mean, I think so. And you were like, well, it doesn't start where you think it does. And I'm like, oh, so we're scanning this completely differently. So when uh, when I, I read that riff, especially with the context it has now, now it's preparatory
1: for something else. No, I think you're right about that and you know really just I in some sense they're just all the big riff. Yeah. Um I I didn't necessarily mean that's the core. I think what I really meant is like, oh haha, it's another version of my favorite riff from the last album. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, like uh and and I think I think I default to big riff when it's a really long melody with a lot of blasting under it. Mm-hmm. You know. So but i think you're right like in some sense that presents itself it's you know okay the really long gradually unfurling heroic melody right it presents itself as the big riff but whereas on the last album it was a big riff here it is at yeah I, i think i see what you mean it's at a more transitional and sort of developmental part of the song so you've got the answer to that yeah So exactly where we left off.
0: So here, here we get into it, uh, you know, especially after hearing that. So lately I've been talking to um, <clears throat> talking a lot to uh, the drummer in uh, my black metal band. And a lot of the stuff that I've been showing him is like stuff that we really like on the show. Or just, um, you know, older stuff that he hasn't necessarily been exposed to. You know, just like Satanic War Master, Goat Moon, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And what he always says is... So so, what happened? Like, when did black metal turn into power metal? And mm-hmm. nobody told us anything. Or, when did, or in the case of Goat Moon, when did black metal turn into, like, traditional heavy metal? And nobody told me. And I think stuff like this kind of confirms this idea of... I mean, this goes all the way back to the first season of the show when we were talking about that Panakita record. Mm-hmm. The strange convergence of, like, black metal and power metal that's happened... And yet it contained entirely within the black metal scene itself, you know. Um, and I think that really comes out here in the same way that it came out really dramatically on that Pedroette's record from last year. These melodic motifs, you can absolutely tie to stuff like, like Lost Horizon, kind of obscure classics of European power metal. Um, and I think that it's great. You know, I, I like the fact that it's combining, uh, you know, black metal cording and textures with these, you know, dramatic bombastic flares of excitement. Like you can hear right there. I mean, that's a a long instrumental passage in black metal tradition. But if you break it down melodically, it doesn't really resemble black metal riffs of the past. It's something new.
1: Well, so first of course there's the big folk metal riff Mm -hmm. right we were that could be on the patriots record or before that on the Entrenos, which Mm -hmm. had a lot of just aggressive folk metal stuff on it um and then you know the blasting part um sort of fulfills maybe some of the tension that's built up on the earlier blasting part right Mm -hmm um but the way a good way of pointing out the way that it's kind of power metally is the way it resolves do mm-hmm. do 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 all right sorry du, 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 it resolves on like do 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 mm-hmm. um do 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 that's like the end i mean that's like a pop resolution yeah right um that's like a big epic pop or pop resolution it's like any even really poppy folk metal sounds like that right uh, Yeah. the um i'm not going to uh t- taint them by association by naming names but i think <laughs> one understands uh and it's the weird thing is that they pull it off in part because it's earned by the uh it's earned by the intense movement of the melody that launches it and by all the sort of tension and development that's come before.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's, yeah. It, it's using these, these kinds of melodies contextually, surrounded by higher tension and more aggression, which sort of yeah. naturally diffuses them of their softer qualities.
1: Yeah, more sophistication and also more... Or, it, it doesn't happen. But but in this in the case of this band, more sophistication in terms of like density of of you know density of riffery and harmony, and also just more authenticity, right? You're gonna hear much more authentic folk sounding parts, right? They're not all like doo doo doo, do do do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. so that that all sort of um earns those sort of big uh Vakken-oriented flourishes. Uh and, and yeah, so I, I definitely hear what you mean about this sort of just becoming it's defining its own territory that's not really black metal. Definitely got a bone to pick with your drummer about saying Satanic Warmaster is power metal, but um
0: uh, <laughs> Well that was just but, among other things I've showed but, him,
1: you know But, you know, I think that was a, I mean that was certainly the death metal underground take on Satanic Warmaster back in the day something yeah. <laughs> like that, and I think that's kind of the opinion I had back in the day in like 2010 because it sounded like a cool opinion
2: to have
1: yeah. (laughs) it's like ah that sounds like the sort of thing I think Um,
0: I mean my drummer connects everything to um, I mean he's thinking of a lot of like old USPM stuff and I can definitely within that context hear a lot of those ideas coming out I think they're coming out from a different place but I definitely see the similarity
1: I hear the convergence yeah alright so um so have we said what we need to say about that part yeah yeah let's move all right, so um we are going to the, I think just the next track after the, these are long songs, also, but like meaningfully long songs. um uh, that that last one was uh, nine eleven minutes. yep, 11 um, minutes. Then we get a brief in, we, we get a brief interlude. and then we're on track four uh, Notre royaume and Sandra. Um, so, you know, our kingdom in the cinders. Uh, and this builds well off your sample, I think, because, uh, you know, your sample showed the kind of musical breadth on this record. And I think those two, the dual samples on Divine sorcery sort of showed the, uh, the long form composition that's happening, right? Where, you know, that turnaround at the end fulfills an idea that starts with those downward scalar runs at the very, at the beginning of my sample, right? So composing on a very long time frame and with a lot of voices and a lot of uh, ideas that tend to get pigeonholed in different genres, but are connected. So, um, and I, I think this is a place where this album gets some of its own really distinctive melodic and harmonic arsenal that sets it apart from the previous record um so uh let's check it out i'm gonna do a quick dual sample because there are from parts closer to the beginning and then later in the song because stuff happens but uh first first off we're going yeah let's just do the first one death metal guy i've got to look up what counterpoint
2: is
0: (laughs) well when a mommy guitar and a daddy guitar love each other very much they want to make something that's a little bit of both of them
1: oh i see so so the stork drops a dual necked guitar (laughs) okay never mind (laughs) that's too many levels of retardation all right so (laughs) Basically, I was just making sure I was using the word right, but that is some of the most sophisticated counter, that big melodic riff is some of the most sophisticated counterpoint I've heard from this band. Um, It is the relationship between two or more musical lines or voices, which are harmonically independent, yet interdependent, depend on each other, yet independent in rhythm and melodic contour. Mm -hmm. There you go. So they're not exactly, it's not like an Iron Maiden tandem guitar line where they're exactly following each other rhythmically. There are places where they come together rhythmically and places where they sort of split apart. And harmonically, also, you get really cool uh, sort of disharmonies that are thrown into that phrase, into that melody at certain times and at other points resolve. Um, It's complex and beautiful uh, and it's, uh, you know at that point you're it almost sounds like less like medieval and more like baroque music yeah um uh that's just i'm mean, like a fugue or something um that's fucking sick right uh and that is you that's the kind of sort of aggressive uh, aggressively melodic riffing aggressively florid riffing that you got on parla song but the mood is very different right a lot more tension um And a lot more sort of, uh, you know, dissonance and push and pull in the harmony. Um, And the way he gets there is also kind of like a a classical mode of composition and maybe Baroque, I don't know. But like the beginning of a romantic symphony, you might get like A and B themes trading and then launching a third theme. Yeah. So you get those. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no,
0: it's. I mean, that's one of the most essential parts of this record. I I mean, you can, you, you would be missing a lot, but perhaps not as much as you think if you boiled this record down to the perpetual dueling lead lines of the guitars. I mean, that is the the centerpiece from which the rest of this record flows. Um, and the fact that they're constantly, like, really constantly in interaction with each other like that is one of the most remarkable qualities of it. You know, it's, you've basically written two albums and you've layered them on top of each other. And they have to work in perfect sequence with one another. You know, these are not simple variations of riffs, you know, simple harmonic, you know, interpolations. These are really elaborate textured constructs. And it's, you know, attention needs to be drawn to just how difficult it is to write that stuff, especially for an hour like they did on this record.
1: Yeah, for sure. The kind of complexity you get on here is not sort of like... Uh, it's it's not the kind of um, technical masturbatory complexity you get on, like, Disso Black Death records. Or, mm. you know, it is... Uh, it's the sort of complexity... Of abundance that you get in a cathedral, right? Just these lines shooting upward and spinning around each other and sort of turning and these kinds of, uh, um, you know, vaults and tracery and stuff like that. Um, and it, it's a medieval sense of complexity. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's really cool. And um, you can also hear in the trading themes before that gets launched, right? Again, there's a kind of noble full almost folk metal-y chivalric melody and then that trades with a much darker and more dissonant kind of trem thing um anyway it does that and then there's a big transition uh and it takes that noble chivalric theme the the a theme there and turns it into funeral doom They don't do that on funeral doom albums. <laughs> Some of them, I just gotta show
0: you the right ones. <laughs> um, real well, quick, well. Before you, uh, before you get into what you wanted to talk about, side note, but one: the drumming performance on this record is uniformly excellent. Um, it's phenomenal, and there's a ton of musicality and dynamics and feeling to it. And I mentioned that specifically so that I can also say this has one of the best. Uh, drum productions i've heard on a record in in several years especially when things open up slow down get a more space a little bit more space to breathe you can really hear you know the the really delicate dynamic touches the the space that each individual drum voice is given to reverberate it's it's really really pretty sounding
1: yeah yeah i hear that um Oh, also, note of clarification, Thomas Leitner also played on Parlez-Sang Versailles. Uh, he was just listed as a session member, whereas now he's a full member of the band. Mm. Um, which is always nice, <laughs> you know. Um, but, yeah, so, the for sure the drums sound great. Um, but, but, yeah, let's, I mean, so, I don't really need to explain to anyone why that was fucking cool, right? We've done enough detailed talk about the riffing. And stuff um the few the tandem the the sort of the counterpoint again as you were saying that kind of like two albums at the same time in that funeral doom riffing is just phenomenal um and then you know launches into this big stirring chorus that is like a summoning album but like a a summoning if burly yeah yeah and i think a way i could you know a distinct a way I have of distinguishing this from Parla Song versa is like, in terms of you know Arthurian myth, which you know the French kind of a lot of the main versions of it are French, and just you know heroic myth in general, uh, is that Parla Song versa is champions music, right? It's music for like the king's champion. Or you know, for people in the role of the knight, who is the fighter, or whatever, right? Like uh, you know, Lancelot music. Um, it's sort of uh, you know, it has it's it's got quests, it's got battles, um, and it and and it has this sort of uh, youthful energy. Um, this record feels kingly,
2: mm-hmm.
1: in terms of. Uh, you know, wh- whereas Parla Sang Versailles has this sort of like, sort of bright, radiant aggression and just intense focus throughout, right? The songs basically just work like colossal riff, um, slow part thrown in the middle because we can't have that the whole time, colossal riff. Um, uh, this record has way more range and in the way of like fleshing out an entire world, right? Way more range of instrumentation, of riffing and of emotion. Uh, and in this track, you can hear a solemnity that is not on "Parlez Versailles. Uh, yes, I mean the, the whole presentation is matured. Yes, and you can you can hear here. There's in in the in the way that massive riff lands, and in then the chorus. There's authority, uh, and you can hear uh, there's authority and the crown weighing heavily, right? concern for the health of the realm uh you know prior to the quest for the holy grail um and uh you know yeah responsibility being born and you know it goes together with what i've seen of these these dudes uh you know with what i said about the the label uh you know even more with antique building his kingdom uh the the dude literally lives in a castle you know or, like, a a medieval fortress. (laughs) Um, And he's sort of built his world. And if you look back at the old Metal Archives picture, it's this sort of, like, deliberately goofy teenage shot of him, like, in basically doing the men in tights thing, right? (laughs) He's got his Prince Valiant haircut and his sort of, like, very tight pants, and he looks like a medieval dude in casual wear. Uh, And, you know, if you look at him now, he's just like a, he's just sort of, he, he, he's he's bulked out, he's got, you know, he's got a beard, he's just like a solid, burly, French, ruralist BM guy. Um, and the you can hear that change, which is, I'm sure, one way or another change they've all gone through uh, in, in the music, for sure. This is like, uh, Parle-Sang Versailles was boyish, like, in a good way, like, in the way that an adult, in a, in a, that an adult man can have boyish energy, mm. that kind of vigor and enthusiasm. This is man's music.
0: We are back with our final record of the night. Um, it's kind of cool. Uh, both of the main reviews today are, uh, you know, related to people that are kind of close to the show at this point. Uh, you know, you had Ivermore uh, with Veaumont, and now we get to talk about Floris uh, with the new Meslamtea record uh, We Modes uh released as always on Babylon Doom Cult Records. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, uh, we covered the previous uh, Meslamtea record, uh, Gekenden in De Shadow van Het Leven, back in 2020, and that ended up on your, en- your end list, actually. Um, yeah. It was a really cool record, and over time, we've just ended up covering more and more work by Floris. Uh, we recovered the Sagenland record early last year. We reco- we covered the Shavot record mm-hmm. uh, like mid-late last year. And uh, when Asgrau puts out another, which I think is coming soon, we'll undoubtedly be covering that Ooh, too. That's exciting. Yeah. So uh, Floris Velthuis uh, has become, you know, kind of a cornerstone of the modern Dutch black metal scene. And uh, Meslamtea, though, is probably my favorite of his projects. Uh, so uh, last time we saw Meslamtea, it was a two piece with Floris handling all the instruments along with a vocalist but now uh there's a third member izzy the flugelhorn player of all things <laughs> uh i am not exactly sure what a flugelhorn is like i understand it's a brass instrumenta so, but i don't know what distinguishes it from you know a, a trumpet or it's something like or
1: something. a it's like a chonky trumpet
0: oh a big uh, an oh lord he coming kind of trumpet okay cool yeah. um so last time so Meslamtea, I've listened to, I've actually listened to all the Meslamtea full-lengths. New Era, back from 2005, is kind of a kind of an isolated thing. Seems like that was almost supposed to be a one-off record, then Floor shelved the project for over ten years, and then came back with a trilogy of records. Uh, the first of that trilogy, Nietzsche and Niemandal, is really cool, but probably, I think, the weakest of the trilogy. Um Meslamtea in some form or fashion, revolves around a very nowadays combination of black metal and emo and maybe some post-punk and post-rock stuff, uh, as well as a lot of jazz. Niemendal, as I said, was a very kind of alt-rock feeling, but also very cool. Geketend, uh, the one we covered a couple of years back, uh, was very heavy on the Screamo influence, and now here, uh, Wimodzklanken, I think, really concentrates both on bringing the black metal back uh, like a little bit more centrally in terms of riffing, but also really pumping up and elaborating on the jazz influence that's sort of always been part of the modern era of the band. Um, I like this one a lot. I think there's a lot to talk about about how it relates to the band's discography and other kind of movements in black metal, but what are your overall impressions? I, I think we're going to be, we'll probably be arguing over a lot of the finer points here.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know if I feel strongly enough to argue about it, but we, we definitely have different opinions about it. I, you know, I, yeah, I, I quite liked the last one. Um, I gotta say this, I've tried, I, I've given it a few listens. I gotta say this one blows right by me. Hmm. It's okay. in what it, sense? In that it just doesn't grab you, or yeah, I listen to the songs and I forget what's in them. Uh, hmm. It it's it's a little bit like the elusiveness of um, of uh, Offscourings, just a record that is a repeated <laughs> a repeated reference point for this show at this point for certain <laughs> records that are sort of slippery in a certain way, right? Um, uh, but it, it had like off there's actually a lot of detail here um and there's a lot of really well crafted music to sink your ears into should you decide to pay attention to any particular part um, I can agree.
0: i can agree with that kind of fine distinction i think this is a record that really does need to be concentrated on because uh, I, I definitely think that if you listen to this as background music oh yeah it'll slip past you very easily
1: Yeah. And it's, um, and, and, you know, I've been trying to listen to it for the show. So not as, I mean, so, you know, I haven't sat down in my armchair. I, well, I don't own an armchair. I haven't, (laughs) I haven't sat down, you know, I haven't given it a sitting down focused listen of the kind that might bring out a lot of really subtle detail, but I have been listening to it intentionally for, you know, for the show and it, it does not grab me. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and so I've—I'm not sure that's my final impression. You know, like I—I'm doing a lot of shit right now. I'm a little distracted, right? It's possible that I'm—it's simply not the right mood or time. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not going to argue with you about this. All I can give is my impressions. Um, and you know, I also like these—like like this dude's projects, and I liked the last one, right? Um, yeah. But what, what I can say is like maybe. Um the the way that the way that this fails to get hold of me as a listener, um might say something about the Dutch about outline something important about the Dutch scene. So I think one thing that sets this constellation of bands apart, and also sort of urban art scene bands like Lester, um is that the Dutch can pull off these Subtle shades of emotion that uh, put other bands in the danger zone very, very fast, right? So stuff like, I, I, got, I got a list here. Um, you know, uh, Arianne, when we interviewed him, when I interviewed him uh, for about Hayden's Heart and the Saganland record, right? He talked a lot about nostalgia, right? Uh, not just in the general sense of, hey, the past was cool, but in the sense of like longing for the past, Right. Uh, sad longing for the best um you know melancholy is really big for this whole scene this is a very melancholy record right Mm -hmm. that kind of attachment to some it's it's a bit like nostalgia right it's attachment to something that's difficult to let go right maybe you don't even know what that something is yearning for something in the future right confusion anxiety you know but also things like contemplation calm enjoyment right uh you know, sort of uh, quiet reflection, right? All, all these kind of like, it's this whole spectrum of emotions and, and what they have in common is that they are, they're very conscious emotions, right? They're very, mm-hmm. these are states of, there are feelings, but there are feelings in a, there are feelings that exist in very close relationship to st- to thinking, um, yeah. Black metal, metal in general, and especially black metal, deals in immediate physical impulse, or immediate mm. physical form, maybe death, or immediate physical form. Uh, so in black metal, you're usually dealing with stream of raw passion of various kinds, um, which can sometimes shade into these other emotions. Um, uh, so the Dutch do quite well as at dealing with conscious emotions in black metal-y music uh, things that are a little more on the inner side, and doing it in a tasteful and cool way uh, mm-hmm. that that does not, you know, uh, um, that does not set off my alarm bells for <laughs> this is too heady, this is too introspective or subjective, right? Um, but I feel like this record might just be too far in that direction. Mm. I okay, I'm starting to understand. The, the differences
0: in per, actually, that's the thing. It's not even differences of perspective. I think we've got extremely similar perspectives on this album. Um, yeah, I, I think I wholly agree with you. I think one of the things that separates Meslantea from a lot of bands is the it's almost completely not physical and not impulsive. It is very deliberately heady and conscious. I think you're completely right all about okay. all that. I, I think just for me, that's one of the things... I think it's a long hair, short hair distinction again. It's kind of funny yeah. given that this is very, ironically, very long hair music, despite how all the influences are by guys with
1: very short hair. <laughs> I, I, I get what you mean. I, I Yeah, I, I really get... Yeah, okay, cool. That makes sense. Yeah, because I was going to say, part of the thing is you, you have more time for introspective music than I do. Yeah, definitely. um And... Uh, you know, I mean, my, as I've said before, my basic feeling is something like, I have quite enough inner life, thank you very much. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, um, I, I I go to music to get outside that. <laughs> I um, see. Uh, okay, that, that makes sense. So, yeah, I, I definitely get where and, you're And I mean, from. I'm also retarded.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, so, so am I. You, <laughs> yeah, I I know, I know. That's except I'm, I'm both mentally and emotionally. You're just <laughs> mentally, so... <laughs> So, no, um, I, I agree with you. And I, I think that that is an interesting distinction about this record is I see Meslamte as sort of the, the exception to the rule that um, basically, you know, scouring the music of those immediate physical impulses should be a disaster. But I, this guy just puts together really fucking smart, progressive, well-designed stuff. Yeah. I th- yeah no exactly exactly this is this is what Prague should be yeah me. i know what you, you know? mean i know what you mean yeah
1: um yeah like you could uh, t- to me you could almost make a meter for where this stuff goes too far and i think i've now been, like pinpointed it so like i i did not like the latest asgara record and that's because a lot of the basic riffing on it is similar to stuff in general outline to moments or parts of the phenomenal record Spec, which is basically a modern classic, um, similar to parts, but it just goes really far into this kind of melancholy law. It's about the apocalypse, but it's this kind of like in sort of languid in between sad feeling about the apocalypse. Uh, the latest i loved the first killed record just huge fan right this last one i we gave it a good review i liked it but i haven't come back to it part because it's just this this kind of it gets too far into these sort of uh heady melancholy emotions this record so it's interesting, but both of those, right, are more straight-up aggressive black metal bands that go too far in that direction. So I take your point that maybe there's a place in this scene for a band that just goes full bore into the uh, the head trip.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, to in short, Meslam Taya is the best hipster black metal band. You know, <laughs> it's like, and I think, well, it was interesting... It, Well, I talked to Floris a little bit last year. Uh, He really liked the review that we did of the last Mm -hmm. record. And he was talking to me, and it was interesting learning about some of his influences. Because he was saying, you know, I really appreciate you talking about the Screamo thing, which not a lot of other reviews had talked about. Which I thought Mm -hmm. was strange, because Screamo is all over that fucking record. Yeah, all Um, over it, yeah. But he said... I mean, the interesting thing is, I get where you're coming from. It's really not screamo. It, he said, uh, "It's the Hate uh, Thousand bands from Belgium. This like uh, this scene of Belgian metallic hardcore from the mid to late '90s that I'm only very dimly familiar with. Uh, bands like uh, Creation is Crucifixion and Communion and stuff like that." Um, so it was interesting getting some of his perspectives on. Uh, you know, where his music is coming from. But he's very forthcoming about, yeah, the primary influences are, at least from Meslam Tia, pretty far outside of black metal. Um, but as to not talk around it, let's listen to a sample. And this will show off, I think, some of the, the important constituent aspects of this record. So we're going to go to Graue Murin. And you've got a really cool sequence of things that happen here. You've got this really beautiful kind of melodic, almost catatonia style part to open it up. And then a sequence of very straightforward black metal riffs, like honestly more straightforward and closer to the second wave than just about anything on the last record, uh, which then takes a turn towards a, a sort of folk direction toward the end. Um, So let's give this Hmm. one a listen. Let me see. Let's see what you think about it when you're just sitting here and just listening to it in isolation. Winding second to last riff, pretty much could be on that Vejamans record we just covered, couldn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's a fantastic riff. Um, and that and the one that before reminds me of a thing that we pointed out on the last record, on the review of the last Meslantea. That's probably worth reminding people of, which is the major influence of Toka. On, mm, I think, yes. all of the Dutch bands. Yeah, yeah. it's um,
0: it, it really comes out super distinctly on those closing riffs there, especially that super folky variation. And mm-hmm. then, again, because we keep pointing it out over and over. Ever since we covered that Narbaleth record, we keep noticing it. the The weird extended measure quality of that second to last
1: oh that one confused the hell out of me in a really good way
0: yeah i actually i was having i was trying to count it a few different ways and it's very strange there's it's like it's not just a number of measures there is a very strange time signature switch it switches
1: from one kind of triple time to another kind of triple time and i'm not sure which they are
0: yeah, it's something like a, a series of like four bars of six eight, and then a bar of five four. It's it's something like that. It's very intricate, but it feels very natural the way it's played.
1: Yeah, I mean that's one of those that is a very authentic sounding, you know, complex folk type melody. And the cool thing about it, it probably you know more complex than a lot of folk music. It's metalized, right? But like. Mm-hmm that that sort of rolling morphine time signature is a way that like in a band with a drum set you try to approximate the isomorphic the isorhythmic quality of a lot of like folk melody mm-hmm. isorhythmic meaning right you can't really put it in a measure
2: yeah it's, yeah it's got its own
1: it's got its own the rhythm is pretty specific to the melody right uh druke does this really well like they fit these fantastically shaped riffs somehow into driving four or four rhythms often yeah, um, a, it's almost easier to play than it is to write out
0: it, it feels there's a real naturalistic feel yes, to it, but describing yes. it is very challenging
1: exactly yeah yeah the, the melody comes before the rhythm um yeah. and so composed with so that's a phenomenal riff um It's true. I'm not sure I latched on to that listening through the first time, but that part is objectively awesome, and it's my fault for not hearing that. No, Um, No, I get
0: it, though, because I fully agree. I mean, one of the reasons I picked up on a lot of this stuff is because, uh, you know, I was out of town and I listened to this for the first time just like on the car ride home. You know, I've got nothing to do but just stare at the road and just internalize the details of this record. So I listened to it a couple times like that. So I I think just really honing in helps you with some of that stuff. But it's also a matter of so many different kinds of things happen across this record. It's really
1: easy for one of those elements to disappear. I think that's one of the main problems to me, yeah. It's Mm -hmm. just there are, and I could almost, yeah, okay, here I'll I'll be a little more critical now. Um, Sure it's the um and this will transition to my next sample too but so in that sample right so it gets more black in the part right before the big glorious folk riff and right after right Mm -hmm. it sounds more second wavy um i'm familiar with those kinds of riffs from osgrau uh and you know and and there are versions of them like this sort of really cold tandem trem riffs, single line trem riffs on the last Mesolamtea that I loved that were very Toka-ish, mm-hmm. I, just, I just would think when it comes to the more black, there are by by volume more black metal riffs on this one, but I don't think this is Florus's A-game when it comes to black metal riffing. Mm. Like, uh, like, the folk riff is his A-game. Like, that's insane, right? That's a really a phenomenal black metal riff. Um, uh, but like, the tr- the Trem stuff before this and then the sort of stompy part at the end just um, is not that engaging to me. I think in part because I've listened to a lot of this guy's stuff.
0: I gotcha. Yeah, I, I think mm-hmm. it serves a structural it, purpose, but I think I, I basically <clears throat> agree with the, the riff on its own not being that exceptional.
1: They're, they're kind of, Yeah. Okay, so that, that's just a riff-by-riff riff thing. But in terms of the structure, a better example would be the riff at the beginning. Um, th- at the beginning, you said a Catatonia-type thing, which is a nice way of describing it, right? It's sort of that, like, Sisters of Mercy via Catatonia thing. Mm-hmm. It's two sort of it, And what it is is really two arpeggiated goth riffs interfering with each other. Mm. Um, and there's really subtle stuff happening there, there's like on the fourth repetition of it it like echoes like around but um it's a riff quite deliberately written not to sound cool it it's yeah. sort of it you know what i mean oh, no no i i totally agree there's uh...
0: This, again, comes down to kind of a personal taste thing. There's Mm. a lot of, like, genuine deep-seated prog impulse on this Mm. record. There's parts that are deliberately difficult. You know, there's a a deliberate sidestepping of the cool thing to do a harder, riskier
1: version. Deliberately, I would say, like, on purpose self-undermining at times. Like, Mm -hmm. there, like, he's... The melody wants to go to these sort of, like, big, cool, catatonia, Sisters of Mercy sunglasses melody, right? (laughs) It wants to go depressive sunglasses. And (laughs) instead, it's just sort of, like pacing around in the room sort of neurotically, forgetting where it put its sunglasses, right? And I, I got enough of that IRL.
0: <laughs> I was about to say, but that's what makes it cool, is the neurosis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But, um, uh, but, but like, you know, uh, but even, even in that sequence, you can, I think, hear the sort of uh, just one thing after another without many structural things indicating uh which have priority there's this kind of horizontality between all details here and there's a ton of detail and there's a ton of different detail and that that kind of sequence is the kind of thing that over the course of an album kind of loses me i get you so let's go to another sample um so this is Shona Le, and i this is from a track i like um and what I want to make clear is that the, the things that, to me, are the limitations of this record, the point is not that it's, and this is more a clarification for listeners than for you, mm-hmm. the point is not simply that it's too emo, or too tender, or, like, not grim enough, right? Um, this is one of the more, sort of, tender tracks, uh, and when it goes there, it really sticks the landing, and it's 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 marvelous and compelling. I found myself really sort of paying attention to this part. But the first part of the track, you're going to hear a bit more of the kind of um, uh, a bit more of the kind of stuff that I find less compelling. <laughs> yeah oh
0: no i i i know what it is, and I know why you're not a fan of it. It's very devin Townsend actually, oh, what makes it that way oh it, it it's hard to describe, um but it's like a, a bunch of my close friends are huge devin Townsend fans yeah, yeah, yeah so i I like a lot of, like strapping young lad. I'm not a huge fan of his solo stuff, but they play it around me a lot um it, there's something uh, uh, about the chord shaping there, like Devin Townsend tends to use a lot of sort of open chord tunings, uh, mm-hmm. which tends to give a lot of his riffing a very a very different quality from most metal riffing. Um, so he, here, Flores is playing around with kind of similar melodic ideas, these kind of shimmering, very prog-sounding ideas. Mm-hmm. And then also um, toward the end of that sample, there's that really cool part with that lilting keyboard line which has, actually, if you pay attention in the left and the right channels, it's the same general melody but with very different palm muting patterns. So you have all this this kind of strobing effect going on between the left and the right ear. That's also a very Devon Townsend thing. I'll have to ask Flores about that, if that was like a specific reference point for some of this stuff.
1: Yeah, I don't necessarily mind, I don't necessarily mind any of the constitutive elements here, right? Sort of, open tuning sort of glistening arpe. i mean obviously i like a glistening arpeggio i like catatonia right um <laughs> yeah. uh the open tunings i i think i can get in a certain setting um i mean i liked the last meslam which also had sh- moments sort of like this on it right yeah, yeah but i i hear what you mean about it being arranged in a very proggy way um but yeah those that sort of like you know the, the 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 dual. I would say where it really gets good to me is where it fades out mm-hmm. on this sort of like um, it releases into this kind of just big uh, chameleons-esque sort of pop hook.
0: Yeah, you, you um, specifically mentioned the chameleons
1: uh, when we covered the last one, didn't we? Yeah, and I think I think I think some. I can't remember if it was Floris or a YouTube commenter but some some people got it um, which was nice but like it's you know it 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 rolls out on this ba ba da 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 that I mean I actually think I actually think the sort of keyboardy part right before it mm-hmm. is like I like that part pretty well too um the, the with the sort of strobing guitar and the keyboard flourishes over it that's a beautiful texture. Um, I like that. And then it releases in this really cool way. But before then, I'm just not crazy about it. You've got the sort of dueling, do du- sort of dueling trem lines in this kind of half dissonant way. It's related to ideas on the last one, but on the last record, they had these distinct cutting forms, mm-hmm. um, forms cutting through air sort of, uh, clearly defined shapes that I are, are not here. Right. Here I agree the sort of on that. Yeah. the do du- right and it's clearly deliberate, right? They're being used as these long sustained notes, and what's really what he's really interested in there is the way that the arpeggios are playing around them,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? He's got the harmonized trem leads, and then he's got the arpeggiated texture shit over it. The
0: but the, it, it, to to make a, a kind of metaphor, the the last record is much sharper in general. This is deliberately much cloudier and foggier
1: as a whole yeah and i think emotionally a cool thing about the last one was that it, it had that in it had that sort of uh sense of conscious emotion to it uh and that sort of subtlety to it but it was very sort of it was always opening out on the world and in moments like that in moments where you've got those like crisp you know crisp single string you know trem lines or whatever right it would clearly open out on a bigger vista right looking out over the harbor at the you know at, at the windmills frisking in the, in, you know, <laughs> in the set, setting sun um but um the uh uh but yeah this record doesn't have as as many of those moments and so when you've just got those sort of uh those sort of lines, kind of grating against each other, and the swirling Prague orchestration over it, to me, that's just kind of holding action. And then you get to the hardcore Skronk breakdown. I really which, like that
0: part, actually.
1: Yeah, I just, it, it, it doesn't. It to me, it just seems like. I'm not against him doing things like that. I liked parts like that on the last record, but to hear, hear to me again, it seems sort of gestural. It's like, I, it's just, I don't particularly like this version of the idea. And I'm just mm. like, oh, it's one of those riffs. I um, yeah, so this is a good example of a song that goes from kind of neither here nor there for me to taking on some clarity right when you start to get the just the sheer intensity of that Townsendy density you liked. Mm. And then that eruption of melody at the end um uh but then i've got um i I found just a a couple other parts that i uh, you know i i'm only gonna sample one of these because because uh i i got to do more samples on the last one than you uh but i should note them both um parts where a sort of um a powerful clearly defined figure comes to the fore parts with some you know parts with this sort of uh distinct melodies right not just riffs
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, distinct musical events happen where it sounds like funeral doom Mm -hmm. or just doom doom or uh 80s death doom I usually try to hum the riffs. Uh,
0: <laughs> Not I even gonna try on that one.
1: <laughs> Not even gonna try. There was a part that goes down <laughs> down.
0: <laughs> that is a fucking really cool riff. That's from the uh, the really early days of Doom Death. You know, before the death metal had been sanded off of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's like a more you'd probably know better than me. I mean, it's like a. This is from the track Verstöten and it's, which is the second to last one, and it's like a Celtic Frost riff, and really like a Hellhammer, like, it's way more complicated than a a Celtic Frost riff, and it's way, 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 way more complicated than a Hellhammer riff, but it has that kind of, um, uh, sort of, uh, the cruel architecture of a Celtic Frost riff, mm-hmm. and the sort of lurching, off-kilter uh, um, bizarreness of it is very Hellhammer.
0: Yeah, I, right? I get what you it's, mean.
1: It's, spiritually, it's like big Triumph of Death vibes.
0: Yeah, yeah. Dude, you got to go back and uh, listen to As the Flower Withers. I know I've talked about that on the show a few times, the very oh. first My Dying Bride record. Oh, you know, I think I have. It's such a weird fucking album. Everyone forgets about that one, but it's much more death metal. Oh, than no, rhythm. I
1: like that one.
0: Yeah. I like I, that one. Yeah, I, I, for sure. I get a lot of that vibe on that riff. Yeah. Um, but no, that's really cool. And then the stuff surrounding it um, is very similar to that previous sample you were talking about. I, I think that for you, it may just be you like a lot of these ideas, you just really appreciate when they're delivered with more clarity. You know, when some of the some of the extra textural stuff is stripped away and it's left to stand on its
1: own a little bit more. Yeah, and that part is really clearly marked as, whereas the other stuff is part of this continuum of sort of introspe- tangled introspection. Yeah. That part is very clearly marked as like, here is the... Uh, Oh, we are walking through the delicately ruined cityscape. Here's the Black Monolith. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> um, it's, uh, like... We, we don't... Here's the Black Monolith. We don't talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's, uh
0: that's that's good because I want to lead into my last sample oh oh yeah
1: just real quick as oh. far as naming things also I was gonna name the other one uh mm-hmm. the last track has a pa- deliberately parallel moment I think mm-hmm. this one's called uh witinvalen which means something like um uh to fall to ruin or to disintegrate um verstod means to cast away right? they've got some very final titles um yeah they're but, definitely um, they're a, they're a couplet uh, it feels like yeah. those two songs yeah and so it's got a more sort of lush melodic take on that same kind of architecture there but i think those parts are very powerful and they i'm much more interested in those parts than in the terrain around them
0: i can see that yeah mm-hmm. um well talking about the uh the, the continuum of sound. Uh, one thing that we haven't sampled just yet is the jazz stuff on this mm-hmm. record, which is, uh, you know, it's interesting because even though Izzy is a full member of the band, the flugelhorn is not used on every track. Uh, it's really probably only on about half of them. Um, but when it's employed, it's pretty phenomenal, and I don't know if there's a, a better moment than at the beginning of this track, Moegis uh, Um This is, so, th- I mean, the, the brass stuff was present on the last record, and God knows, just over the past few years, the whole oh, a black metal band with a saxophone or a trumpet, been, <laughs> I mean, that's become like a, a fucking cliche of its own, we're, ooh, we're a black metal band, but we have jazz and everything in it. But I really feel like these guys pull it off, um... Uh. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, I was going to say, like, I was just jumping in to say, yeah, they do. I mean, I can affirm that I really liked that about the last one. Remember, they had that moment where I think there was only sax on one track, but it was brought in at like the most
0: perfect time. It yeah. <laughs> just
1: the apex of chaotic screamo kind of thing. And uh, it was just it was really, really cool. We thought that was quite well done. So the jazz element in this band makes sense. Yeah, and uh, I think that uh, specifically the moment you're
0: talking about on the last record, this is kind of that moment going again. So uh, I'm going to talk about kind of like a greater theory of how to think about Meslamtea afterward. But I love the way the jazz and the black metal stuff collides on this song. This is probably my favorite track on the record. So let's listen to the first half of uh, Mogestriden. <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, no, here it's definitely. This is one of the stronger tracks. This is definitely firing on so, all cylinders here.
0: Yeah, and uh, but but this is where I think the the, the quality of this the, this cloudier cloudier more agglutinative song structuring really comes together. It's like, uh, you know, before the, uh, the the jazz break that happens again, you don't even realize the flugelhorn is subtly coming in in the background as a harmonizing voice until it explodes into that lead of its own, you know, when the distortion drops out. And if you listen to this album carefully across the whole record, there's so many instances of that. Subtle layers building... You know, in slow motion, you barely even realize they're happening until one of them dominates as the lead voice suddenly, you know, without any sort of warning. Um, It's just really sophisticated. It's, you know, it's uh, just from a from a craftsman's point of view, this shit is really far out front, I think.
1: Yeah, so it's very well done in terms of uh, in terms of being sneaky. Uh, there's a bit of a sleight of hand here because the flugelhorn becomes really important during the textural parts, but the thing that will grab everyone's attention is, oh, it's the jazz part, is the saxophone, mm-hmm. which is uh, a guest. That That's still guesting on this. This is uh, by Otto Koke um, on saxophone. Um, and I, I'm going to do one technical quibble here. Mm-hmm. The part at the end where he starts soloing a bit more. That sounds jazzy. Mm. The part at the beginning of this track does not sound like jazz. It's like TV 80s TV soundtrack or like porno soundtrack. Yeah, not um, rules. <laughs> yeah, no, it it sounds really good here. Like it makes sense. I get the vibe. I'm just saying. It's uh it's it's not exactly a jazz thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I get it, but you know, we're, we're a metal show. If it's got a, if it's got a brass
1: instrument, it's jazzy. It's, it's you jazz. We got stick it's... up. We, we got <laughs> to st- stick up for autists of all subgenres. <laughs> it's, uh, Absolutely. Otherwise, they'll come for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, but real quick, I just wanted. To say, we did. We did a. Uh, we did an extremely aggressive extreme metal podcast, and eventually, we were knifed by the jazz fans. <laughs> we and we can only hope.
0: Um, <laughs> but I mean, the thing that I wanted to say though is, I after listening to this record, after listening to all of these records, I, I think I've started to figure out the idea of Meslantea a little bit better. You know, I. I think it's easy to see. Oh, so Meslante, what are they about? They're about, uh, you know, black metal, plus some jazzy stuff, plus some screamo, some post-punk, yada, yada. I mean, that's all kind of true if you're just looking at the, the individual elements. But I think more importantly, Meslante is about a continuum of atmosphere and mood. Um, I don't think that, uh, you know, the jazzy stuff or the black metal stuff is necessarily supposed to be seen as separate parts. I think they're varying levels of intensity of the same mood, Uh, even as kind of weird and disparate as some of these musical ideas can be. The thing that locks it all together really is that atmosphere that, you know, wandering the abandoned post-apocalyptic city. And you can do that through jazz, or you can do that through screamo, or you can do that through black metal, but the point is, at the end of the day, they're all walking through it together.